Greetings and welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie. My name's Jason. And I'm Rich. And I'm Chris. And we've hit the movies of 1997. What an incredible year 1997 was for movies. Austin Powers, The Fifth Element, Titanic, Men in Black, Liar Liar, The Lost World and uh, The Postman. The list goes <laughs> the list goes on and on. I think it surprised us all when looking back and seeing so many amazing films released in this one year and we took the decision to do two movie episodes for 1997. In part one we are featuring Starship Troopers, Mars Attacks and Tomorrow Never Dies. But there's no B-movies to find here, and to do our part and bond over these films, we have asked for the help of the content director for Lost in Cult, the editor-in-chief for Ninty Fresh magazine, and the managing director of the Switch Player magazine. It is no other than... Pe- blah, 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 blah. Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> it was going so I'll tell you well. What, that, uh, was, that, that was, to be fair, that was a long list of stuff. You did was, well. You got through the list. It completely threw me there. Let yeah. me start that bit again. <laughs> I keep hearing Keep it in. That's fine. Uh, ben, ben, hey-ho. For fuck's sake. No, you did it yourself. You did your own yeah. intro. There you go. No. Oh, it's Ben, right. hey-ho. <laughs> Welcome hello, to the Wolfie Pod. Hello, hello. How you doing? How you doing? Oh, it's cool to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. If um, I mean, that's quite an impressive list of, of stuff that you do. Uh, it, can, just, can you just tell us a little bit about all those, that kind of stuff? An impressive list of bullshit. Um, no, it's, <laughs> no, it's it, no, it's so uh, yeah. I've got to scan very briefly. So, um, Lost in Cult is is a is a sort of independent publishing company that's owned by John Doyle, um, and we make the Lock On Gaming Journal. So, uh, amongst other things, that's kind of our flagship product, the Lock On Gaming Journal. But moving into other areas now, we recently did the um, uh, Handheld History, which is in conjunction with uh, Retro Dodo, which is a big book on all handhelds mm-hmm. across time, which is a great project. And there's some other projects on the go as well now that we're moving into, but the flagship product kind of remains that that uh, sort of lock-on gaming journal. And uh, yeah, I'm the content director there, so I help put that together and and work out what's going to be in there, what articles are we going to cover, what focuses are we going to do, and 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 sort of help to get writers in there. You know, not just we, we we try and get some big writers, but also a big focus on making sure we get small writers in there, emerging writers. That emerging talent is really important to us. So I kind of help to sort of build that from the from the from the sort of point of initiation of each issue and make sure we've got great content and great writers and all that stuff. So that's uh, that's that's what I do there. And then Ninty Fresh, um, as, a, as a 90s podcast, hopefully many people will be aware of the, the great um, Nintendo magazines of that era. And Ninty Fresh is really a, a magazine that's sort of harkening back to that sort of golden era of magazines and trying to help recapture a little bit of that magic. So we do a, we do a magazine called Ninty Fresh, which is now... It's just finished its sixth issue Kickstarter, mm-hmm. I think, which is all yep. um, focused on the, the Donkey Kong um, franchise. Each issue, we tend to have a focus. And the most recent one's all on Donkey Kong. And um, yeah, it's really just about going back and revisiting those games. We try to cover every game in the franchise from the point it started. Um, so that's right back from the arcade cabinets all the way through to, I guess, Tropical Freeze must be the latest. So we, we cover everything we can. We have interviews. So we, we, we get some cool people. Um, I got to speak to David Wise, the, the incredible composer of the Donkey Kong country music this issue. So, yeah, it's all about trying to, you know, not forget 
all that glorious stuff from that time and, and celebrate it a bit. So we have good fun there. That's a good fun mm. magazine. And in Switch Player, my friend uh, Bobby is the editor-in-chief there and he really does a great job. But I just I, I keep my toes dipped in the water. I like to stay on top of that. I, I used to used to be the EIC there and that's just a, a, a great magazine that's now on I can't you know I don't even know how many issues Switch Play has done it's pretty incredible 60 something, something isn't it it's 60 something wow, yeah. it's pretty wild man that's a monthly magazine so that's been going a long time and Switch Play is a, a fabulous little magazine celebrating the Switch in all its glory so we have good fun there as well so yeah three publications all very different all very fun yeah, and all three, you know, very high quality in not only in the writing but also in the in the feel and the and the smell and the paper. And, oh, the you know. smell! You can never <laughs> beat that smell, can you? No, yeah, I, will, sp- I will just say, um, lock on does the most beautiful smelling publication I've ever, <laughs> I'll tell you I've what, ever had honestly, in my hands. It's, it's unreal. It's unreal. Yeah. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. When people, you know, some some people actually the first issue they got theirs before me, and I, when I've seen people talking about the smell. I thought, yeah, okay, sure, but how good can it smell? And then I got it, and it's euphoric. I slipped into some sort of subconscious space. It was incredible. What a what a great smelling page. Screw oh. screw the article. Screw the exactly. art. Do you know I what I mean? Know. It's all about the smell for me. That's why I buy it. I just just for that just for that just that hit of like paper smell or, is, or ink smell or yeah. whatever it is. I had the same conversation with someone the other day. I got this weird thing about smells and textures and stuff like that. And I, I said just in conversation, there's nothing like the smell of a glossy print magazine. I don't know mm. what it is. I don't mm-hmm. know what finishing treatments they use mm. or what. It just like the smell of an Argos catalogue. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> come on. Just, oh. You know what I mean? It's just like give me that over anything. Like, <laughs> what's he doing in the corner? Smelling an Argos catalogue. He's fine. <laughs> well, if you want another hit of nice glossy magazine smells and get yourself onto uh, lostincult.co.uk and get yourself a look on book get yourself a look on journal yeah it's bring just... it out whenever you're feeling sad you have it by your bed <laughs> yeah get a good good hit now we've no, we've got to know you a little bit there ben but you know we want to help our listeners get to know you a little bit more and uh... i have 10 quick fire would you rather questions that we're about to throw at you so if you're ready okay we I'm very be- ready. Yeah, we, we, will, we will begin. All right, let's do this. If I say anything weird by accident, mm-hmm. don't worry, um, I won't cut it forgive out. Forgive me. Yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> we're the, I'll, king, I'll we're the kings of weird in here. You're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. <laughs> Would you rather wear winter clothes all summer or summer clothes all winter? Uh, summer clothes all winter. Would you rather play Super Mario Three or Super Mario World? Super Mario World. Would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader for the rest of your life? Talk like Yoda. It would annoy everyone. <laughs> would you rather play Jet Set Radio or Crazy Taxi? Crazy Taxi. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. Would you rather be a character in a video game or in a movie? Uh, video game, because I come back to life. Would you rather watch the Super Mario Bros. film or the Street Fighter film? Oof. Um, Super Mario for, for lovely old Bob Hoskins. <laughs> Would you rather live twice as long or win the lottery? <laughs> uh, win the lottery, life is painful enough. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather spend the night camping or at a luxury hotel? Uh, luxury hotel. Pamper me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Would, you, Would you rather have to sing everything you want to say or talk in rhyme? <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd love to sing everything I want to say. In fact, I mostly do. This is a rare time I'm not. Oh, why aren't you? I'm disappointed now. Come on. 
And uh, number 10, would you rather watch Babylon 5 or Star Trek Deep Space Nine? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Resolutely Deep Space Nine. Oh, okay. Thank God for that. <laughs> this, question makes me sh- this question makes me shudder on the inside every time it comes up. <laughs> I think I've asked. Um, I think I've done this round of would you rather questions about three times now, haven't I? And mm. I think everyone so far has chosen uh, Star Trek. So yeah, well, right. I'm, I'm having space flashbacks where they shout at uh, <laughs> the comic book owner. Babylon Five's a big part of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One day, one day, I'm going to ask that question and It'll someone happen. is going to say Babylon 5. And it's got to happen at some point, surely. Then you just have to cut the connection, just gone. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Chris, we're all allowed our, our own faults, mate. Come on, we're not perfect. I know. <laughs> okay, well, just Ben, messing. I feel like we, we, we know you much better now and um, some, some, cool, some cool answers in there. I'm glad you picked Super Mario Bros. film over Street Fighter film, I must say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you'd said Mortal Kombat, that would have been a harder choice. But like, the, the, you know, Mario and Street Fighter. I mean, neither of those are really on the top of my list, to be honest with you, Jason. So it's, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, that was, it was, yeah, not, 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 not really a d- difficult choice. Either is bad, to be fair. But I actually like, you know, Mortal Kombat movie was actually genuinely pretty good. So I'd have picked that if that was there. Well, it wasn't, was it? So no, it wasn't. Thank <laughs> no. you. You're welcome. No worries. Okay, let's get into our picks for this episode. And at the top of the show, as I said, we have got Starship Troopers, Tora Never Dies and Mars Attacks to discuss this time. And let's start with our guest, Ben. Which one of those films did you pick? I picked Starship Troopers. Young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. (laughs) They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. The bugs send another meteor our way. But this time, we're ready. Planetary defenses are better than ever. Plendathu, source of the bug meteor attacks, orbits a twin star system whose brutal gravitational forces produce an unlimited supply of bug meteorites in the form of this asteroid belt. To ensure the safety of our solar system, Plendathu must be eliminated. We break net now and take you live to Plendathu, where the invasion has begun. I mean, like I said as well, 97 was such a strong year in films. I mean, it was amazing. Mm. What? Why this one out of all those? Yeah, I mean, it was hard. Like some of those you listed at the start of the start of your introduction there. I mean, there there, there are a lot of valid choices for this year, which made it really tricky. Starship Troopers is is just it. It hits so many things. It's such an intro. I mean, Paul Verhoeven is just an amazing director to watch anyway, but. 
Starship Troopers, it hit so many areas of win, right? It was entertaining, it was flashy, it had amazing effects, but apart from being like a bombastic sci-fi film that just entertained you to the very core, it was also very thoughtful, it was very satirical, it had a message, although I think that message was completely missed in 1997, which is why, I think, why the, the movie actually flopped really badly when it released, but I think has become come to be appreciated more and more as time has gone on, because that satirical message about you know, about war and governments and, and, you know, this militaristic future that it sees for, for this sort of global army that they that, that it kind of films kind of saw us working towards. I think that's become more poignant as time has gone on. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's an entertaining film, but I also think it actually had something to say. And even though I might not have seen that myself as an eight-year-old kid, I certainly see it now, and I think I appreciate it more and more as time goes on. Yeah, you're right. It's um, re-watching it last week in preparation for this and I had a great time re-watching <laughs> it it's so much fun um, I mean, do, you, do you share that that feeling Rich? Yeah absolutely I mean I this is the first time I've watched this movie since originally renting it back in the day um, my mum as ever just renting me R-rated films yeah. and I was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. thanks mum yeah and this it holds up so much like I was generally blown away by how much I still really really enjoyed it and being able to watch it now with more of an adult mind and mm. understanding like the satire, the message about like right wing you know, militarism, fascism, that kind of stuff, mm. and uh, just how it condemns war. Yeah, the message hit hard, and that's even when you don't count like the really um, on the nose like commercials you get at the start yeah. in like proper RoboCop style. <laughs> classic, yeah. classic Verhoeven, that isn't it? Yeah, he loves it. I just it. lap those up so much. Yeah, it's just. Fantastic. I love it. And I kind of, one of the things that really stuck out to me, kind of obviously goes along with the message of the movie, is Neil Patrick Harris and his <laughs> like kind of transformation as the film goes on. Yeah. When like the intelligence, like division department, whether they appear, they all just look like SS officers. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, damn. Like it was very on the nose, but I was just Straight like. Straight in with that visual reference there. It's <laughs> it was, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I just saw, I just saw it as, you know, the big bug movie with, mm. you know, some boobs in it when I was a kid yeah. <laughs> and it obviously just meant so much more watching it as like a guy in his late 30s it's just yeah that's all I saw it was in the yeah. 90s was just like I'm not not interested in that it's like a bunch of pretty people shooting bugs I was just like I'm alright and then it is like you said as an adult when I watched it like two weeks ago or a week ago yeah you get that point where like fuck you pull a Captain America don't you like I understood that reference yeah. it's crazy you don't think about it. And then you see the massive anti-war statement. It's just, like you said, it's the futility of war, bureaucracy. They don't care about the people that they're sending in. And then just like I noticed, it, it's so it's so subliminal, not subliminal, what's the word? Subtle. Where no one acknowledges the death of hundreds of thousands of troops. They just crack on and move on. Yeah. They got that constant stream of recruits, haven't they? It's like yeah. a fl it's like a flow of it's like a flow of a river as people yeah. come in, and then they get sent off to this war to die, and then more yeah. just come through, and more just. And come they're getting through. younger as well because Rico says, "Oh, it was his bunch of uh, kids we got here." Yeah, it's like, well, like well, like a few days ago, you guys were the new recruits. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? It's long, yeah, and it's exactly it's that quick succession of yeah. Next thing, the new the new blood's in, and how long are they going to last? Not long. <laughs> And even production-wise as well, like it really blew me away how much the um, even the visual effects oh, really, stunning. really held up. And mm. I think that was a time where I think 
that's where I appreciate CGI the most when you really got to appreciate it and what was on screen was needed instead of just being plastered over the screen like most films these days. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, every every shot mattered. No, it wasn't just blah. Yeah, but <laughs> it's, like Jurassic, it's like Jurassic Park and all the good movies that do that, where they use it sparingly. Yeah. They use the CG when they need to. They cut into the full-scale puppet work or the miniature work when they need to, and it holds up. Yeah. And it holds up for the main reason was because the bugs are moving so damn quick that you have no chance to even see any imperfections. Yeah. Whereas, whereas if you if you have a scene like you know where he jumped, uh, he does that sort of incredibly impressive feat where he jumps onto the back of that massive yeah. bug and he starts yeah. firing his assault rifle into the top of it and it's like shooting up orange blood goo out of it all over him, you know, and it's like it's really visceral. You see this hole opening up and he jams the grenade in there. Like they they know that when you're paying attention to the details, that's when they're giving you that like you know the animatronics, the the physical stuff. Uh, when they know you're really looking and, and that's why, yeah. I mean, that's what Verhoeven does so well though, right? He's great at that stuff. Yeah, it's a visual just treat just to watch it or to cinematography. And yes, the, what dated it for me though was the use of modern day tech at the time. Dates the film <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Like, like but... <laughs> it's it's interesting though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's quite I, good I mean, to, to see it and, and, yeah. and, and to go back and, and see what we had at that time. As a and, time capsule. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's quite cool to see that in that way. I, I was actually thinking about that recently with, with another film, which was when I was, to, not to go off too much of a tangent, but looking at Alien and Aliens and stuff like that. Mm. And when, they look, when you look at their equipment, and it's almost like you, you could actually almost justify it canonically that, that they move so far ahead that perhaps they go backwards again. Perhaps we move so far with how fancy stuff is and touch screens and things like that. Eventually, we get to a point where we say we don't need any of this, and they actually bring it back to the most efficient way of doing, you know, screens and computers yeah. and stuff like that. And I, I love that idea as well. Is that you I, know, I love that in-universe explanation because I've had many arguments with many Star Trek fans over the years when they cite and they say, "Well, why would that look like that if that's a prequel?" And you and you just like you're missing the point. Like in between. <laughs> this and that like there's a third, third world war happens yeah everything's going to go backwards a few decades accept it move on and to quote austin powers isn't it it's best not worry about such things and just enjoy yourselves and that goes for all of you guys out there too and it's just like <laughs> it's so true <laughs> i think one of the things that just really did hit me with this movie is that i think i don't know so much at the time but in more recent years i know some people have kind of dunked on it. I think um, it was um, Rift Tracks, I think, or some critics. They kind of paint it as it is a dumb, pretty people film. Yeah. But I think the film is quite subversive. It knows what mm. it's doing. It's not there to get people into the theatre. It's not there to have pretty people on the poster. But there's scenes like where Denise Richards, when she just like smiles, and it's yeah. so glossy and mm. Hollywood sheen. Yeah. And Beethoven knows what he's doing. It, yeah. it's meant 100%. to be these yeah he was way ahead of it wasn't he he was yeah. way ahead of it because what the whole thing I mean one of, one of you guys touched on it earlier about the fascism element he was painting yeah. a picture so clear with, with the use of the uniforms with the use of the lead actor who, um, I forget yeah. his name now but he Casper Van Dyne that's yeah. it that's it Met I mean, he was not he, actually a nice he, guy 
Oh, oh really? That's <laughs> a shame. Yeah, but he was chosen for a very specific reason, right? Because he looks a very—he's got a very Aryan look about him. He's got this, like mm. you know, chiseled jaw, blonde hair, blue yeah. eyes. He was picked for a very specific reason when he could have used more famous actors at the time, yeah. but he used this one because this was the perfect cast for what he was going for. So every, everything he was doing was about that kind of fascism element and, and moving towards that. And he, yeah, the, the like you said, uh, the, the, the critics didn't like it. I think Roger Roger Ebert gave it like two stars at the time and yeah. said it was like the, the 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 flashiest kids movie ever made or something like that you know i mean it was so the point was so missed it's it's actually really it's almost a satire the reality of how we missed the point the first time around <laughs> you know but it's it, i think it's just so clear to us now that we look back and yeah. say well how could you not see the point it's it's he's slapping you around the face with it but yeah, it just but it's it, so it, more it just went over everyone's head now like since I suppose you could say since the early 90s Gulf War, and then straight into 9-11 and then straight into all the conflict in Ukraine and the war on terror and all that kind of stuff, it's more relevant now to sit there and go, I get what you're doing. Mm. And the people that people like Verhoeven are targeting are the same people that Christopher Morris targeted when he did Brass Eye. I was going to bring that up, actually. Just yeah, right? yeah. It's exactly the same <laughs> concept. You go yeah. after the stupid people who missed a point and then they overreact and then so that's that's the fire that they're throwing the gasoline on it's not like <laughs> it's just so... like chris morris's starship troopers that would have been interesting oh yeah <laughs> it's just and it's just like you said earlier about like how it's 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 an anti-war message but glossed over in such a glitzy hollywood way that it just works perfectly together <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, and also the ironic thing about it right is that the book uh, robert heinen's book was actually actually raising the opposite point. So it was a coming of age story about Rico and him like discovering his civic duty and working towards them and stuff like that. It's actually a right wing book. So Verhoeven oh. took his book and actually completely twisted it around, like giving nice. him the middle finger and then just turned it into his thing <laughs> about like war being advertised to us like Coca-Cola adverts. It's the so opposite cool. of the book. And I love that he did that. <laughs> so cool. This, this is the, it's, this is the kind of film, when I watched it the other day, I was just like, I would love to have seen Verhoeven helm a Batman movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how, yeah, mm. visceral with, no, lots right. of Right, you think how rich yeah. the Batman source material is and how, you know, so there's a lot of metaphors and stuff within that material. Like, he would have handled it all beautifully and I just struck me that we were robbed of him not doing one. <laughs> he wasn't actually going to do one, was he, Verhoeven? No. I just no, I, no. over the years I've always thought to myself, what would that have looked like? Yeah. <laughs> Probably Robocop with a bat suit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> also I will say as well, on a side note, how much I absolutely adore the score for this oh, Basil by, whose Basil, surname I can Basil, never pronounce um, or butcher. Polidori Pol- Polidori yeah. or Polidori. Polidori. It's pronounced <laughs> it's pronounced really weirdly, but I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it it evokes that. There's bits of it. Where he's like, "This is Robocop. This is yeah, exactly. Conan. Yeah. This is Robocop." And I absolutely adore the score for this film. It really struck me watching this for the first time in twenty and, and years. The, the cast was insane because I was watching it the other day, and when they're in the um, the schoolroom, the bug dissection room, and I sat there and I was like, "Who the fuck is that teacher?" And I was like, "Fuck, it's Rue McClanahan from the Golden Girls." <laughs> Really? I spotted Amy Smart as well at one point. She's in yeah, Amy Smart's got a small role in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. yeah and um, it's yeah. just like, and, was, um, that, was that Amy Smart? Yeah, it's, they're in the, um, when they're doing the um, training, when they're in the, um, yeah. she's in the cockpit flying the uh, ship. I was, um, I thought, I thought that scenes. was, um, 
That's Laurie Holden, isn't it? No. No. <laughs> Why did I think that was her? But yeah, I was just like, what? I could the fuck? see, could see the confusion. I because actually looking at her younger, yeah, they are very alike. But yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I sat there. I was like, that's one of the Golden Girls. It's like in prosthetics, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, fuck off. It took me out the film for a minute. I was just like. <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> I was just really happy to see the ledge Michael Ironside back. Michael Ironside, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I haven't seen a film two... with him in that for ages. It was just yeah. so good to see him. And we and we got you know two Breaking Bad alumni in it as well. Oh yeah, mm. we've got yep. um, Dean Norris and the actor who played his partner in Breaking Bad as well. Well, Gomi was there, Gomi in there, in way. I'm sure I saw him in there. Man. I never spotted Gomi, but it's mad. Yeah. And, and you've got like Clancy the, Brown. You've got Clancy Clint, Brown. Oh, in there. Mr. Krabs. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I always, he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I always love every time I watch films like Highlander or there's like there's an episode of Star Trek Enterprise and he was in the crown as well. And like every time he raises his voice, I'm like, that's just full on Mr. Krabs. Yeah. I cannot just I just have to laugh because it's just <laughs> uh, one of the things that um struck me though when I we watched it. And um, it, I kind of forgot about it, and that, that was just the level of gore in it as well. And I think it kind yeah. of took me back to when I did watch it originally, and probably one of the reasons why it stuck with me at the time was, was just the level of gore and just how uh, shocking it was in some places, especially the cow scene. I'm glad they censored it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he loves it, don't he, Verhoeven, his, his gore and stuff. I think that's... He just loves to, when he's painting these images of sort of, you know, consumerism and, and political agenda and all these things, and, and it's being it's being plastered in the faces of the characters so much, like in their world, he also likes to make sure that you're equally as exposed to what's what's happening. So he never shies away from just giving it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and I think, like, through all the scenes... That that one where they're on the on the training field and the guy's having trouble with his helmet. Oh god! <laughs> oh god! Yeah. That for some reason that is the one scene that kind of sticks out of all of them because it's just so shocking, wasn't it? It just came out yeah. of the blue, like you just just didn't expect it. Even now, like I knew what was coming, but I still when it did happen, I was still shocked. Yeah. When it did, is I mean, is there any other scene or any other part of the film, Ben, that sticks out most for you? I, I think. I think that the the death, um, because there's you know there's that sort of ultimate kind of standoff at the end, that pointless battle that they have to have um, towards towards the end, where they have to hold off this strong point, and then they find out it was all pointless, and that the whole yeah. thing had a low survivability rating, and there's it was all about the futility. It was yeah, they knew yeah. it was going to be terrible, and like I think I think the death of Dizzy Flores just at that point in that horrible way where she gets all gnarled up and dies with all this blood and shit all over her face, um, in the arms of like uh, of Rico. I mean that stuck with me. You know, this this was the, yeah. the heroine of the film, mm. and you know, I mean yeah, that that really stuck with me. And then the other one, of course, the brain sucking scene, <laughs> um, <laughs> with, yeah. you know, with yeah. uh, with with Xander and, yeah. and like him just getting it. And it always drove me nuts that he handed that knife over to 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 uh, what's her name, um, Car Carmen. Um, yeah. He handed that knife over to Carmen first. I guess he was like, you know, he didn't know who it was going to come to first, and he was doing a sweet thing to let her have the knife in case she was first. But then, imagine handing that knife over and say, and then it comes to you, and you're like, ah, oh, bollocks! I wish I, I wish I, I wish I held that knife a little longer. So pass it back. Yeah, please. What? That's something that really stuck out to me as well. Is that there doesn't seem to be this kind of film with these kind of characters, young, attractive people. There's no actual 
assholes in this movie. There's no actual antagonists in the, in the no. sense of typical jockish types. Like you got what's his face, um, Jake Boosie's character, who I can't remember the name. You would think going in, oh, he's going to be the the dickhead. Yeah, he's, he's the one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, ace, ace, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. wasn't. Yeah, no one no, turns on no. anyone. No one's like, oh, despite all this stuff going on, I'm going to have this grudge or agenda, and I'm going to it's going to come out in the you know in the final act. It's like it's quite refreshing. I guess what he was trying to show, I guess, was that there are no, there are no bad people in this. There's just bad systems. So yeah. you know, they're, they're they're all good people. They're just brainwashed into this idea of citizenship and having to fight, yeah. and violence is the only option. And they're they're all steamrolling towards it happily because they think they're doing what they have to do. So they're not enemies to each other because they've all got the same mindset of what they need to do. They're just doing what the government wants them to do, and mm. you know, fighting each other isn't going to help that. So they just steamroll towards, you know, death happily together at the yeah. age of like 16. <laughs> it's absolutely Damn. mortifying. Well, most of the um, arachnids appearing on film are CGI, but a few life-size robotic models were built. However, during the battle scenes, the actors wound up looking at director Paul Vernhoven himself, who would step in front of them and jump and scream at them, even chasing them with a broom to... <laughs> To elicit, to elicit their reactions, attempting to generate some of the fearsomeness of a 12-foot space ant. <laughs> it's very Hitchcock, isn't it? Yeah. It's very Hitchcock light. <laughs> yeah. Cl- Clancy Brown affectionately described the director as a nutbag, given to, <laughs> given to jumping up and down with a bullhorn, going, I'm a big fucking bug, I'll kill you. <laughs> That's fantastic. What's your motivation? I love, uh, I love Clancy Brown. I, I loved him. He was so much fun. And can you imagine that though? Can't you? Like if 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 the if your director's kind of that laid back and just having that much fun with you, that that mm. comes off on the camera, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it gives everyone energy. It gives everyone that spark. That's what you need. You know, when you got I don't know who's a wanky director. Um, Mel Gibson. Oh, okay, fair enough. Got, Baldi, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, if you've got an actor, a director like that, you, your actors, I don't know, they're just going to feed off your. The vibes that you give out, I guess, aren't you? So, so, so to have a director like this, it just—I think—it just comes out onto the screen so much better. It's like any workplace you work in. If you're with mad people and you feed off that energy, that positive energy, yeah. Yeah. you have a better day and you go home sure. buzzing because of it. It's yeah. chemistry. The cow that was killed by the arachnid in the media break commercial was completely digital, but was still censored. A bonus video features feature from the DVD shows what occurred behind the censor bar. An FX tech used a small hose to spray the walls with fake blood. It was shot in cuts. The real cow was placed on his mark for the establishing shot. Then the still shot of the cow was used with computer-generated images for the effect where the bug appears to eat it. I do love I like, that bit yeah. and how you see the censored bar, but you see the pure carnage around it. Yeah. Because you, like, you can't not see the gore. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Like made me chuckle. I yeah. like the idea that somebody had to, somebody actually probably inquired and said, did they hurt the cow? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, get, you get that all the time, but it's like, you know, when it's a massive sort of six foot spinning disc device. Like, I hope they didn't stick that up that cow's bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check the IMDb. Yeah. Now, Starship Troopers was released on the 4th of November 1997 in the US, but it wasn't actually released until the 2nd of uh, January 1998 in the UK. But um, we, we had a little discussion about it and we thought it was like, uh, it's two days, man. It's just life's not worth living. You know, it's not worth caring about 
shortly <laughs> to be an arse about this. So we, we decided it was fine. It was cool. Oh, that's very kind of you. Oh, no. Thank you. Yeah, I'd have been pretty heartbroken if I couldn't have talked about Star Wars Troopers. <laughs> so that's very sweet. It had um, a budget of $105 million and wow. uh, it, it took in 121. So yeah, that's a got there. way bigger budget than I even imagined. Yeah, I know. I, I, it was definitely considered like obviously, yeah, it made its money back just about, but it was considered such a such a flop at the time. Um, I remember reading about that, and it's yeah, it's just it's again, it's just it's that cult that cult cinema success that things find that's so mm. like fun, isn't it? Because how yeah. many people do you talk to now that that have seen it that don't like Starship Troopers? No, nobody says, oh, what? that was terrible. Nobody, no. you know, but at the time, nobody said it was good. You know, it was, it was, it's bizarre how much an opinion can change over time. Never watched any of the sequels or the Roughnecks cartoon. I don't know what they're like. Because I loved the cartoon. The, well, it was, a, it was a it was a CGI thing that they used to yeah. show, and I loved it because you know I was obviously a kid at the time, and that and that was on like Saturday morning television. It was as close to gore <laughs> as you'd get on like Saturday morning television. It had like blood coming off the arachnids, you know. And it, I, I remember thinking, I mean, the CGI is shockingly bad now, but I remember thinking that it was just so cool to see like proper violence on a Saturday morning kids television nice. show. Yeah, it was good. Excellent. Well, that was Starship Troopers. Uh, Rich, let's move on to your pick, mate. Uh, which one out of Mars Attacks or Tomorrow Never Dies? I wonder. Hmm. Did you choose? Hmm. hmm. Yeah, it would be, of course, Mars Attacks. <laughs> Once you believe. Martians. above fear. Annihilate! Kill! Kill! Let's not be too rash. Then you'll be invited. Hi there. Are you interested in the White House? To meet with a new people. It's so perfect that it's happening at the beginning of the new millennium. More powerful than the might of America. I'll tell you one thing. They ain't getting a TV. More advanced than the brains of Britain. Ladies and gentlemen, this could be a cultural misunderstanding. But be prepared for a few changes to what we know and love. I'm Jones, right? It ain't unusual. As we must learn to dance. Girls, get out! To a new tune. Jack Nicholson. Whoa. Why can't we all just get along? Glenn Close. Kick the crap out of them. Pierce Brosnan. What, in your view, are some of the things that the Martians can teach us, Professor? Quite a lot about Mars, I expect, Natalie. That means Danny DeVito. You want to conquer the world? You're going to need lawyers, right? And Annette Bening. I think they've come to save us. From director Tim Burton. Hey, we all make mistakes, Mr. President. Mars Attacks. I watched this back when it came out in the cinema, loved it. This was obviously still kind of off the off the high of like Independence Day. Mm. I was all about aliens at the time. And yeah, I, I absolutely adore this. We've kind of been hit and miss with Tim Burton. I don't necessarily go in wanting a Tim Burton film. And I think in some ways it is, but... The tone of it, I can't necessarily compare it to the likes of like, you know, Beetlejuice or anything like that. It tells it basically it does follow a similar pattern to other like alien invasion films. You know, you've got the people that aren't being believed. It kind of deals with the whole 
parable of like you know distrusting authority figures and uh the people who are the most heroic at the end are just like your average you know guy and his grandmother <laughs> spoilers <laughs> um it, it, it's just mad as a box of frogs this movie i absolutely adore the design of the actual martians I love the way they communicate. Still oh, cracks me up. And even now I appreciate more Fuck Chris. <laughs> even more appreciate now how Tim Burton keeps it quite vague. Um he leaves it quite up in the air as to why they actually attacked. Initially you do think, oh, it was triggered by the dove that the hippies mm. let free, but no, it wasn't. No. But were they always going to attack? Did they then land and think, well, actually, I don't know, they changed their minds on the fly? I like the way they're characterised. They're just absolutely, obviously, you know, incredibly threatening, but they're just goofy and very, very impulsive. And, yeah, I like they never explain it. You don't know why. You don't know if it was it our fault. Are the Martians just assholes? Um, I lean towards the latter. And it's just yeah, it's just fantastic. I mean, CGI is the CGI didn't hold up amazingly well, but I think it works fine with the cartoony nature of mm. it. It it totally it worked for me. Um, and the cast of this movie, holy shit, the cast. Oh, of this the movie. cast is nuts. I was freaking yeah, out after uh, the title bizarre. card, just seeing the names on the screen, and I was just like, please stop, because <laughs> it's kept going. You know, you got two Jack Nicholsons, you got Glenn Close, yeah. Annette Benning, Pierce Brosnan, Danny DeVito, Martin Short, Martin Jack Fox, Tom Jack Jones, Black, yeah. Danny Portman, yeah, Jack Black, who I didn't recognise, but I did at the same cast. time. It's mad, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's I absolutely adore it. I really, really had fun with this seeing it again. Again, this is a film I've not watched in the longest, longest time, so I made a point of doing it obviously for this. And it yeah, it was just a real trip going back. I had so much fun. I think this is like one of Tim Burton's like lighter films, isn't it? Like, I mean, yeah. Tim always does such dark and gloomy films. With a brooding message underneath it. Yeah, and he's come around to do Mars Attacks, you know, a film based off a a card, you know, wasn't it? Card game or something? Yeah, it was the top yeah. slide. I think there was like Tops. bubble gum cards as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's so it's so light and... And I know it's still about an alien invasion, but I don't know, like a bit more cheery than what he would normally yeah. do, especially around that time. It's, it's and, the and sort of the way they do the, the like, you know, when they like they, they, their laser guns that they use, for example, they could have they could have like you know blew holes in people, they could have done anything like that, but they didn't. They sort of stripped people down to colourful skeletons, yeah, mm. green yeah, and you know, red skeletons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I green love red that. skeletons. You know, <laughs> great little touches that made it really accessible, even at a young age. It, yeah. it it was frightening, but you always found us kind of like jolly thing about it. It's like, oh, he's a red one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got like, a red gun and a green gun, and when yeah. the kids get hold of it, and the kids are just blasting every which way, they don't care, just firing his ray guns. That's what I love about it. It's called, it's called Mars Attacks. Mars just attacks Earth. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. no material motive. They just attack, <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. And like I've had, you could say, the privilege of watching this under the Louis influence of something uh, many, <laughs> many, many years ago. And it takes on a whole new dimension. Now, <laughs> really? I was, I was at college, okay? okay. 
and I rewatched it the other day for this, and I was in fucking stitches. And half the cast, they're all on this never-ending title card, this proper B-movie title card with ropey spinning discs, and all the <laughs> names are just kind of going from right to left, proper like. And I was just like, half of them are only in it for like two or three minutes a piece. Yeah, right. it's fantastic, and it's just nuts. And the Tom Jones ending is just the oh, most batshit crazy. He just starts, he just starts clicking his fingers, <laughs> and all the animals come out, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but yet, some of it is played so seriously at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, under, so understated. One of my favorite things in this whole film, and it's probably my favorite Natalie Portman performance. Mm. She just plays the really just kind of like whatever, you know, teenager, she's president's daughter. And when the aliens kill Congress, and she just says, I guess it wasn't the dove. And she's just like slouched on the, on the, on the, on the couch and like her mum, the first lady's like choking on her tea. And I just, I was howling at that. I just, the delivery was so spot on. It's just, it's just, yeah, fantastic. Mm. It's just, I think like, another element of this as well that's super underappreciated is the is the beautiful beautiful romance that blossoms between Sarah Jessica oh. Parker and oh. Pierce Brosnan, which is like <laughs> this amazing thing. Like she's in this douchebag relationship with this like you know uptight guy, and she meets Pierce Brosnan on her show, mm-hmm. and they're like the perfect match made in heaven. And then it's like oh everything's gonna be right. Then Mars attacks. Yep. <laughs> it's like oh come on. And before you know it, she's on the he- she's a- she's a head on a dog, and he's a head in a jar. And it's like come on. Bless your hearts, you were so close to happiness. <laughs> I just, I loved yeah. the satirical, nonsensical science as well. Because, like, like any alien invasion movies, and this is quite a riff on, like, the Daily Earth stood still and stuff like that, and they bring in a science guy. And the science guy <laughs> isn't a science guy, he's a celebrity pin-up science guy. And it just, I was watching it, and I was just like, this is gold. This script is phenomenal. Because it's just, it's just nonsense that the audience can work out themselves. But the way him as a scientist is saying, and was nodding ahead and agreeing, you know, sucking around the pipe. It's like, yes, yes, we agree. It's just all fucking nonsense. But it pays off. Because yeah. And then of ironically, character. he actually gets, he, he kind of makes things worse, doesn't he? Because he's yeah. sort of like saying, he's, he's kind of like, a, this could simply be a misunderstanding. And they keep trying to get, and it, it's actually, you know, for once, it's the, it's the army guy sitting there saying, we should nuke him, sir. We should kill them all. Yeah. And it's like, actually, he was right. It's the alien autopsy when he's just picking stuff out of its head. It's like, and this appears, this appears to be the intestinal tract. And this, I, 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 um, I'm not sure what that is, <laughs> but it's just like, and you got all these like world leaders just believing everything he says, and it's just it's mad. Uh, can we just talk about that scene with Lisa Marie? <laughs> <laughs> and what what more is it to say? Really, it's just so spooky and so absurd, and I just I love it. And I mind sure it's an absolute idiot, but love him. So. <laughs> I mean, the, the clearly there's something not not right with this woman, and he's just leading her in. <laughs> Into yeah, the but White he's House. thinking with his penis. He's not thinking about anything suspect, is he? What a fool. But um, yeah, just just the uh, the way she plays that was just so yeah, like you say, so spooky and eerie, and yeah, that that kind of walk that she pulled off with her hands, sashays along, just kind of, and she got catches up with him at one point, and it just it's really oh, yes. that's 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 the worst bit. Yeah, where he's like, and then you know, and it creeps up really quickly to catch yeah. up with him. That is super freaky. That 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 is an amazingly creepy scene. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I guess the other 
good part about this was it was the 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 boy and the grandma that saves the world in the end, even though you know. Sort of slim easy Whitman. listening music, you know. With slim Whitman. <laughs> <laughs> the donut boy. By itself, it was a play. It was playing off the war on the worlds, wasn't it? Really, it's yeah. like instead of you know, it's just you know the flu or the common cold. Yeah, yeah it's awful music. easy listening music that you get from like yeah. you know a garden centre. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Those old crappy CDs used to get. So, yeah. I mean, if any music was going to put down an alien race, that is probably the genre that would do it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. But um, it was it was such a refreshing uh, film to see at the time, especially where we just had Independence Day, and 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 to try and just to compare the two together, it was just no so you know yin and yang. But it was so cool to see this after Independence Day. Just, just, just for that reason, and I have so much more preferred the alien design from Mars Attacks than I did from Independence Day. Oh yeah, <laughs> without doubt. I would have so, been all that Independence Day if it was this design in that film. I would have been over the moon with that. That'd have been amazing. They were so cool, though, weren't they? Like, I, I appreciate, like we say, that they, they they took the design from the tops trading cards, but they are just such a cool design for an alien that I don't think they've really been topped. Have they, do you think, in any other no. kind of style film? No, I mean, it definitely plays off the, the classic kind of design in a way. I mean, they're kind of like a grey, but not. They've got you know, the big bulb-shaped head, hmm. but everything else about them, it's like, yeah, it's very Burn-esque, but even though it was based on something already, you know, that already existed. But, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think they're my favourite alien design. They're easily better than Independence Day, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, Independence Day was just... Sort of, as I, I it's hard to even remember them. They're just sort of like tentacly, shell cased things, weren't they? There wasn't a lot to enjoy on them, like like there was here. I think it was the facial expressions of these aliens that was so brilliant. Mm. It, it, you know, they had with the big bulging eyes, and you, but you could yeah. see them thinking, and you were like, what, "What's he going to do?" And you didn't know, you know, for so long, you didn't. Know. Obviously, you worked out they were just pure evil quite quickly, but to start with. The way their their eyes would shift around and, and and sort of working things out, and it was like there there was a, a level of humanism to them. But of course, as we know, humans are the most evil race on the yeah. creatures yeah. on the planet. Anyway, so I think it was it was almost a reflection of us, you know, by seeing yeah. that kind of way they looked in their face. Yeah, and, and and as we mentioned, you know, the way that they spoke, just really, just I don't know, like just made them more special because it never heard an alien since or beforehand have this kind of vocab the whole ah, ah, ah. I can't do it as well as you like I, I love it I just it's sublime and just running around there in motherships and what have you in just like their little red you know secretly <laughs> underpants it was just yeah. so odd that was their standard <laughs> I love like, it yeah, when he's on the ship yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I remember sitting in the cinema and I was laughing when they were standing outside the Taj Mahal for a post photograph when they launched it <laughs> <laughs> even yeah. now, I was just like, "That's brilliantly done." Again, it's like tourists, isn't it? It's like it's like yeah, like, like humans are like tourists. tourists. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to. Um, you might not be able to answer this, Chris, but like when uh, Piers Brosnan head kind of fell off, fell out of his clamp, however it was holding him up, yeah. he's just rolling around on the floor. You know, I mean, that impressed me. Like how how they managed to to create that effect. Yeah. Again, it's just I. I'm not a visual effects guy, but I can only imagine it would be a similar way of doing it to how they did Thing in the Adams Family. Yeah, Where they, they film a plate and then they have probably a physical Brosnan head somewhere and then they just kind of seamlessly blend the two 
and then obviously they cut off the green screen neck and they probably hand rotoscope in the neckline. Mm. That's the only thing I can explain where it'd be done frame by frame rotoscoping, cutting mm. it out and digitally adding stuff. But like you said, when, when their heads were rolling around, it was just like almost flawless. Yeah. yeah it no, was it really so well impressed done. Me. Yeah, definitely. But even the, the even Sarah Jessica Parker's head being uh, sewn onto the dog. Yeah, it just worked. It, it was didn't... quite flawless. Yeah. Because even, I mean, I know we appreciate we said about the, the effects in Starship Troopers as well, it being pretty good. But I mean, there was still some ropiness and still some learning to be done with CGI in, in this part mm. of the 90s. But I mean, it feels like maybe this was the time that they were finally getting to grasp with it. Yeah, yeah totally. Just, but I do like things... this, how the imperfections, it did lend it that cartooniness. And I like that the aliens, the Martians, almost felt disconnected to the rest of the film. And yeah, it was like Earth was being overrun by just an absolutely absurd cartoon, which yeah. I kind of adore that. <laughs> but that's yeah. that's what works when you give this <laughs> malevolent villain kind of piece, this kind of like goofy, garish, almost kid's toy aesthetic. And then when you give them super violence and super advanced vaporising stuff, it just makes it funnier. It's the juxtaposition, it's just, isn't it, of the absurd yeah. and the incredibly serious, and they just get thrown together in this film so well. I remember as a kid not noticing that it was Jack Nicholson in two parts until I've watched it like a few years later. Yeah, I don't too. know, what was it, 1996? So I would have been, what, 11, nearly 12? Didn't occur to me until a few years after it when I watched it on, on VHS and I was like, whoa, whoa wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it still surprised me now how well he played those two parts. Yeah, completely good. differently as well. When people had their flesh vaporised from their bones, the remaining skeletons were either red or green, as we as we mentioned. Tim Burton explained that this had been done because the movie had been scheduled for a Christmas release. Also, the oh God. <laughs> that's fantastic. You went for the Home Alone decor route. I like it. Yeah. Also, the red and green skeletons were first seen in Beetlejuice when Barbara and Adam were in Juno's office. You can see them mm-hmm. with other goals, goals, ghouls looking at the screen. Uh, and Tim Burton called Pam Greer and asked her to fly to Los Angeles for an audition for Mars Attacks. She said she wanted to but couldn't because her dog was terminally ill. He called her back several times and eventually decided that she had already auditioned by not leaving her dog since her character in the movie refused to leave her sons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's adorable and just strange. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, don't want to see how you actually play the role at all. You've just got a dedication to your dying pet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked. It pulled off. I mean, she's a good actress anyway, so it was all cool, wasn't it? She, she was on a bit of a revival at this time as well, wasn't she? Because she got cast in Jackie Brown for yeah, and Tarantino's yeah. Jackie Brown. So and I think she'd been kind of dead in the water for a while before that, hadn't she? Released on the 28th of February 1997 with a budget of $70 million, it grossed 101. Bad. Go- bad. Not bad. That I think is it, pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I was reading some of the research and they was they weren't quite happy with the way it performed. I think they were expecting it to be better than, than what actually happened with it. But I think it was just feeling the effects of it being... But I think this this film got pushed for backwards because of Independence Day. I think we said in the in the Independence Day special episode, they decided to, to do that with Mars Attacks so it wouldn't clash. And because of the, the juggernaut that was Independence Day, it was just taking all the takings but it it didn't work unfortunately no. in that sense for the studio and oh, I think this is this is where i got confused earlier when i was saying it was paul verhoeven going to be doing a batman film no it was to do with tim burton he was going to do a superman movie right 
and cool. I think yeah. he was going to be doing that with Nicolas Cage, yeah. but they 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 stopped oh, yeah. him doing that because yep. of this film. They like they were, oh, really? they were like punishing him um, for something. I don't know if it was performance or some other way he was dealing with this movie, but that was going to happen. He was going to do a Superman movie mm. at some point. Yeah, because there's, there's uh, videos, isn't there, out there with Nick Cage yeah. um, in, in the uniform. They were doing mm-hmm. dr- um, rehearsals with him in the costume, with the Superman costume and everything. And th- that's how far ahead that they were with this film. And now, now I, don't know, I don't like Mars Attacks that much anymore because <laughs> that's the real reason. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen a Tim Burton, Nick Cage, Superman film. It would have oh, been awesome. That would be brilliant. It would be awesome in the most worst way possible, wouldn't it? Possibly, yes. It would be like... Yeah. It'd be like Michael Bay directing a Transformers movie, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, you know, the the, the Batman movie worked. <laughs> Tim Burton Batman movie worked. It, it did. Would be, yeah. So mm. that's one Nick Cage screaming work. Zod, like yeah. <laughs> just in my element. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Well, uh, we're on to the uh, last of our picks of this episode then, and um, Pierce Brosnan and Double Bill. And uh, I guess, I mean, I've, I, I'm sure everybody guessed as soon as they saw Tomorrow Never Dies on the episode title that they were like, oh, well, that's Chris's pick, surely. And it was. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> <laughs> Never pass up an opportunity to discuss one of these. No, Not- so, uh, but no, Chris, please let us know. What was your movie of 1997? <laughs> well, it was, it was a tough choice because 1997 sure. was just such a bam of years for films. It was like, I think 1996, 1997 is where I'm kind of getting my film identity, my film nerd identity going. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot to do with dinosaurs, supernatural and space and stuff like that. So James Bond is one of my guilty pleasures and Tomorrow Never Dies, it is. There is one strange thing. Carver owns that newspaper tomorrow. When I called our contact in Saigon, he said the Vietnamese only found our sailors three hours ago. How'd they get the paper out so fast? Somebody at tomorrow knew before the Vietnamese government did. I'm sending you to Hamburg, 007. We've arranged for you to be invited to a party tonight at Carver's media center. It's the main uplink of his satellite network, where the signal would have been sent from. He's celebrating the launch of a new satellite because now he has the ability to reach every human being on the Earth. Except the Chinese, who've refused broadcast rights. James, your ticket, cover story and rental car reservation. Sign here, please. I believe you once had a relationship with Carver's wife, Paris. That was a long time ago, Em. Before she was married. I didn't realise it was public knowledge. Queen and country, James. Your job is to find out whether Carver or someone in his organisation sent that ship off course and why. Use your relationship with Mrs Carver if necessary. I doubt if she'll remember me. Remind her. Then pump her for information. You'll just have to decide how much pumping is needed, James. If only that were true of you and I, Moneypenny. Is this better, a better film than GoldenEye? I... I'm not one of those people that think James Bond films are better than the previous ones. Mm-hmm. They're all good. Okay. They're all enjoyable. They're all escapism. The same as most films. There's some are really bad, yes. But it's not better than GoldenEye. I think Pierce is doing a better performance. He just... He finally clicks with the character in this film. And a lot, yeah. a lot of people over the years have sort of gone with Pierce Brosnan and they're saying, like, oh, it's not as great as he... As everyone thought it was, but it's like rewatching it. Like I, I watch these films must be twice through a year. He just nails 
nails his interpretation of the character perfectly in this and the world's not enough. He just gets it at this point. Mm. This is the quintessential 90s shoot-em-up <laughs> of James Bond movies. <laughs> it was embracing its time period like a well, like a nice smoking jacket would in the 1910s. I think... Is it this film that has the highest Bond kill rate? Because he just... <laughs> he walks Possible. around... Yeah. Totally well, license just, kill, jeez. Okay. I think so. Because... He just walks around this film just with his finger permanently on a machine gun, just mowing people down. <laughs> and well, even like, at the beginning, like he's shooting a, 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 a ton of people with, with the plane gun. Yeah, it's just mad. It's just, just carnage. Mowing them down. And it's just a, a perfect version of James Bond's movie with the times where what have we got in the 90s? We've got massive action shoot-em-ups. Die-hard movies have just happened. You've got the Lethal Weapon movies that are happening as well. Bond follows suit. Give Pierce a machine gun. Let's mow all these people down. And I think with this film as well, just everything just lands almost like clockwork this time. They've been given more money, right? GoldenEye was a low-budget film to bring people back to the the James Bond world. GoldenEye does really well. And then they they throw it all at Tomorrow Never Dies. Like, the production is insane. Pierce gets it, and this is going to sound really nerdy. His hair is perfect in this. It is perfect. They style his hair perfectly. Yeah, very it jealous. Just works. Bastard, it I was works like. so well. <laughs> and there is, and it's just like everything about it. It's just fun escapism. It never stops. It never has a lull. It never slows down. The pace is consistent. When I was watching Tomorrow Never Dies, it had so many amazing Fleming-esque mo- moments in it. He's like trying to infiltrate Elliot Carver's uh, media group, which is the perfect, perfect analogy for <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. And everyone, everyone's thinking it, right? <laughs> yeah. This <laughs> massive corporate, like, giant who's got his finger in many pies and many art newspapers and TV, you know, things and stuff like that. And Terry Hatcher. And Terry Hatcher, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just... He's not a physically imposing Bond villain, but the way Jonathan Price is handled and his characterization is perfect. Because, like, and it's kind of foreshadowing what M would say in Casino Royale, like, uh, in Skyfall, where she's like, the enemies aren't the big superpowers. The enemies could be the person sitting next to you on the tube or on the bus or drinking coffee opposite you. And this is a perfect example of that concept where he's no one suspects him because he's not yeah. a big physically scarred or physically imposing guy he's just a guy who's in control of a lot of commodities around the globe who can manipulate things in such a way that he can make his own news by creating the news mm. that's fucking scary shit and to put it mildly look what Donald Trump did with those riots yeah yeah yeah. That is a prime right. fucking example of how someone having too much power and too much influence. Mm-hmm. And this is done perfectly in this film with Jonathan Price's almost menacingly untouchable nature where he's surrounded by security guards at all times. It's, it's mad. Mm. A film that's got an amazing soundtrack. The cinematography is gorgeous. The costumes are gorgeous. There's, and the performances are fantastic, especially by Judy Dench. She really nailed that character. She was a bit cold in Goldeneye, and then this came along, and all of a sudden she's that kind of like 
that strict auntie that no one would ever answer back to. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We've all had them in our families or we've known someone like that. And so she's not as cold and calculated as and she, Goldeneye. And she fires off at least a couple uh, double entendres as well. So she, they definitely lighten her in this. Like. Yes, yeah. And pump her for information. And I <laughs> I love that scene in the, in the taxi. It puts a yeah. new spin on the M Money Penny Bond meeting, which would normally be in her office. Yeah. And I love it when Bond films do something differently and go off kilter a little bit because it just keeps it fresh. And it's, it harkens back to like the Roger Moore and Connery f- films where Bond would be in this like arse end of nowhere country, but there would be M and Q and Money Penny and all the, all the British Secret Service people in this like purpose built uh, HQ. And you're like, what what <laughs> that wouldn't be a thing but by flipping it on its head and having this meeting happen in a taxi cab it's like that term that they give to a walk and talk how can you keep something that's very talky very action oriented you have the walking and talking and this is done in a taxi cab going through london and all bouncing around this taxi sort of flying around these corners and they're having this great little deep this little briefing and it's fantastic it's just this lovely little spit it gets a bit of energy to it i did i did like piers brosnan's yeah. face when, oh, when, when, the, the glass when, the, goes down. when the glass goes down and he sees Money Penny, it's yeah. like, what? what? What are you doing? <laughs> just, you know? just didn't see it coming. <laughs> no. But it's and it's got a whole political intrigue and about Hong Kong being handed back to China and an amazing performance by Michelle Yeoh as well as the Wei Lin, Colonel Wei Lin. Can I just say as well, like the car chase in this film is oh, phenomenally the done. The yeah, well, I'll, get, I'll get to the bike chase in a minute. Oh, okay. but the, the car chase okay, in the yeah. multi-story car park. Oh, the remote control. I mean, seriously. Remote control in it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That was great. Yeah, was... <laughs> that, and it still is. The music by David Arnold is amazing. But that BMW 750, like everyone was like, "Oh, it's not a Bond car." I've always liked it. I think mm. it's a stunning-looking car. But if it wasn't for BMW, we wouldn't have got Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. And then we wouldn't have got Tomorrow Never Dies. Because they flung a shitload of money at Eon and said, use our cars, we'll help you make your movie. It's like, fucking okay. <laughs> it's only a car, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. but the rockets and the self-reinflating tyres. Yes. Oh, just... And the electrified door handles. Yeah, with Dr. Kaufman, tip- where he uses that with Dr. Kaufman to, like, electrocute himself, doesn't he, and get him out of that yeah. situation. I love that it's, scene. It's, it's great. great. And... I remember back in 1997, I was just like, wow, a phone that unlocks a car. Fuck off. The best phones were made by and the now, Swedish. Yeah. yeah, and now our phones are unlocking cars now. We're not, oh, yeah. You know, but they're turning been, the aircon on and they're heating while we're still indoors. Yeah, and it's just that whole car chase is just done so differently where he just jumps in the back seat and it's like driving with this phone. And, and if you want a blast from the past about tech, like we were talking about earlier, then uh, seeing that mobile phone was certainly one. Yeah. But that phone wasn't even made. It was a prop for the film. Sony Ericsson didn't even make the phone. You couldn't. You mm. can't buy it anywhere. <laughs> you can buy 3D printed replicas, but you know a lot of films you can buy screen accurate props, can't you? Because they, they buy them off the shelf. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in this oh. case you can't get hold of it. But it's just a great car chase, and that that gag at the end where it's like, as Bond would normally have, a perfectly located Quick. wire cutter. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. It's just such a silly Roger Moore-esque gag. And it makes me smile every time because it's just 
just so happen to have a wire cutter for just these moments and it's mm-hmm. perfect yeah. and it works the Bond theme comes twanging in and then this wire cutter comes out the badge and then it's perfectly le- it's perfectly in then, line isn't it with the wire it's just and that's that was my segue where everyone gives Pierce Brosnan a stick because somewhere somewhere someone said we want you to be the best of Connery and the best of more and then run with it and Unfortunately for everyone else, Pierce wasn't given the opportunity that Daniel or Timothy had to really flesh the character out. Because I think they were playing it extremely safe. I think they did some more of that later on, right? So when they, they did. sort of the, the downfall of him, where he starts to lose his, you know, grip a bit, and they, they the start to not explore enough. it. Yeah. The world is not enough, definitely. And I, yeah, they, definitely I have a soft a spot better. for that film because I actually, it's one of my favourites. I, I love yeah. World's Not Enough because yeah. Pierce. Pierce wanted to delve into the dark psyche of Bond, which Timothy did. But I think they were playing it so safe because they were unsure of... Basically, they were like, let's not change everything. Let's have the best of this and the best of that, and we'll interject that into the script, and we'll have this and this and this. And it was paint by numbers. And with the world's not enough, you get that, that bit of darkness, that bit of vulnerability where he falls for Electric King, and and then, like you have that betrayed nature where he's like, you know, don't fuck with me, basically. But in GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies, you don't get that from this character until you see that beautiful scene where he goes in and Paris Carver's dead on the bed. Yeah, that was pretty mm-hmm. amazing. And the scene before then where he's sitting up waiting for the assassin, which is such a great callback to the previous films where Bond's sitting there waiting for the assassin to turn up. And they do this perfectly with this, where Bond's sitting there and he's drinking his drinking his vodka in the chair, waiting for someone to be sent. And it's and Paris comes up, and he's like, didn't expect that at all. And then she turns up dead, you know, a day later. But it's just a gorgeous scene, and with the Doctor Kaufman assassin, it's just like this shit's nuts. And but Pierce's films become such a mess of. Light-hearted darkness, light-hearted darkness, and it's they they get very confused as to what they want to be, and this one is a prime example of there's so much going on, so many different themes, so many different motives going on that you like. Is it got one serious scene and then one one light-hearted scene, and then it works oh. well, but the second half just becomes a co- like a convoluted kind of mess of action for the sake of action yeah, in yeah. some respects. And it's just a machine gun toting second half. But the first half is just a great film. And yeah, I, th- I think you're spot on, to be honest. I think that's it. There, there are so many great ideas in this one. Um, and, and like you said, it really started to flesh him out. Um, I think Goldeneye is, is the better film. Um, yeah. But I think that Tomorrow Never Dies really started to introduce him as a, as a proper fleshed out Bond. But like you say, that, that sort of towards the, the latter half of the movie, it, it became a bit of a a bit of an action mess and that is a real shame um, I think for the sake of the film especially when you refer to like uh, you, you refer to the, the, the scenes like Paris Carver's death and stuff like that which is, is an off screen death I mean it's so and then he's just laid out there that is such a great Bond moment and it's like yeah. those are those are really nuanced carefully placed moments and it's like that's the good stuff and then you get back to the machine gun toting <laughs> silliness yeah and the it's end just of the like film. oh you've forgotten everything then and it's just yeah. like and like the way they set it up is obviously Paris is a, pre- a previous love of Bonds who he just happens to cross paths with again out of sheer circumstance. But then all of a sudden 
it's forgotten about, he shoots the guy who's killed her, and then next thing you know, you're in a car chase, and he's smiling, and he's got a remote control, and he's just... You just kind yeah. of like, you just sit there, and you're like, what? And it's it's just weird. It's just, like, everything just... And they worked it out again for the Craig movies, didn't they? Because obviously Vesper's death had a huge impact on him, like, and, you know, which... which bled into yeah. subsequent films in a significant way. It's like they learned something, mm. but unfortunately for Brosnan, not quick enough. A big it shout was... out also to Gert Otto as well as Stamper, who's an oh, incredibly yeah. Im- imposing... You know, you said earlier about how Jonathan Price, how Carver had none of that, and the reason he had none of that is because he had Stamper there to be yeah. that for him when exactly. he needed it to be. Yeah. So, And that, that, that was really clever. It was like, it didn't not exist... It's just that that wasn't his strong point. He had somebody there to do the dirty work as and when he needed to, and he was this yeah. looming darkness behind him at all times, you know, which is very mm-hmm. terrifying. I mean, I was taken and, off guard by the first half of this because I think, again, like the other two films, I've not watched this in the longest time. And I think from when I watched it originally, I always kind of looked at it as it was that kind of by numbers, very broad, safe follow up <clears> to <throat> Goldeneye. Mm. Um, you know, down to a kind of bland villain and watching it again and yeah, the first half for me, like really, really sung I was like, oh, wow, okay this, is, this, isn't, this isn't a film I remembered mm. at all but yeah, second half it, it definitely was what I felt at the time it was just quite just noise by the end <laughs> unfortunately yeah. and it's, what I, what I love what Bond films excel at as well is showing the other side of espionage. Yeah. It's showing what other countries do in their espionage. And it's somewhat lost on the Craig films because you never see it. You only ever see the British Secret Service and what they're up to. And what I like about it is, is when he's in, he sees what the Chinese Secret Service and all of their stuff. And it's a nice insight into how different things are run around the globe. They may be fundamentally the same secret service on paper, but they're completely different with how they operate and how they manage and work stuff out. And the way him and Wei Lin are played opposite each other is just fantastic. You all mentioned about the second part of the film not being as strong as the first part, but I mean, it did still have that probably be my favourite part of the film with, with the, the mo- motorbike chase oh, I scene love the motorbike chase and, and i Most. think it's probably i don't know if it's like one of my favorite bond moments to be honest like it was so well done like mm. between between brosnan and michelle Yeo, I'm never there was a lot of, there was a lot of chemistry yeah. wasn't there the way they yeah. were moving around they were yeah. attached with the yeah. with the um what do you call them the the, the wrist thingies handcuffs um, Handcuffs. There you go. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> what the hell just happened there? Been That's the a freaking black, the isn't it? Thingies. Yeah, the wrist thingies. Yeah. No, it's, it's a it's a double bluff because I've got a lot in my uh, bedroom cabinet. But um, uh, yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, but no, it's amazing the way they move around one another. You know, so yeah. they're switching around on the back mm. of the bike and pulling them over the top of the head and stuff like that. There's some really good choreography done in that particular scene. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. the stunt the stunt work stunning when you look at the stunt people on the bike doing the long shots. Mm. And they're going across the rooftops, and yeah. it's like this is pre CG stuntman, you know what I mean? And it's like this yeah. is nuts. Yeah, it was so good. And you mentioned you, about the sky bit as well. It was you know driving through the houses and on the rooftops and all that. It was yeah. just so cool to see the helicopter 
tilts the blades, does a knee down, um, mm. and coming towards him like that. I mean, but I mean, I assume that was filmed real, was it? I remember watching, um, and this is really, really sort of specific, but I remember seeing like a making of when Tomorrow Never Dies was coming out, and it was specifically about that helicopter jump and how they did it. So I'm pretty sure everything they did there was was actually done. That's um, crazy, like the the The, way that they're flying the helicopter with the blade so close to the ground and and then the actual... That was done on a rig. Uh, Showing John Landis how it's done. That was... He's getting his research books. Getting his research books out, know, yeah. Right, yeah. But but I remember them. You know, I mean, obviously they didn't actually just ra- actually do a full jump over a helicopter. But I remember that they put a lot of things in place to make that as realistic as possible because mm. it was it was a big yeah it was a big thing. I remember watching it back when mm. I was sort of eight years old. I, I was just amazed, like just on the, the the piloting of the helicopter because it was just really impressive. If that was yeah. me, I would be um, dead. <laughs> you guys are gonna love this. I've got a book book called The Essential Bond, which was published in 1999. I got it from Woolworths in Faversham. Beautiful. And, Beautiful. Just getting um, it from Woolworths just makes it so much better. Oh, I just, I've had it for years. It's my go-to like reference. Is it like but, a brownish um, book with like orange on the front and stuff yes. like that? I've, I've got, got, got the same book. when I, yes. I got it as well back, in, back at the same time. Yeah, there you it's go. got Sean Connery. <laughs> it's got the first Bond and the, the current one, which would be Pierce. Yeah, the, the helicopter was on a rig. There was miniature shots and a full-scale helicopter, which was on a rig. So when the, when the blades are coming down the road towards them, it's all done on a rig. So it's not actually being flown by a pilot. They're not actually doing that dip and move forward. It's all on a controlled rig. Right. So they're tipping this prop helicopter forward, and the rotors are going. So it's all controlled. And then when the helicopter crashes into the side of a building, that's all miniature. Mm. And that's cool. Weirdly, you can. When I watched it, I like, I I streamed it on Amazon because I couldn't be asked to find it. Mm-hmm. And you can see it's a miniature shot because it's obviously scaled down people sitting in the cockpit. <laughs> you can just see it. <laughs> just a little Lego man. Yeah, you can you can just see it <laughs> and you're just like, and you're just like, oh, this modern TV stop ruining uh, it. It's, it's beautiful watching films on a phone. Sometimes yeah. you but you miss I, those yeah. bits. <laughs> Sir Anthony Hopkins was cast as Elliot Carver before. Who's, who's the dude? That, I forgot who who played him. Played him in the end. Who was it? Jonathan, Jonathan Price. Price. That's it. Jonathan Price. Yeah, he was cast before him apparently, and joined the production, but walked out after three days because it was so chaotic and there was no completed shooting script due to the, <laughs> due to the pressure on Eon Productions to finish the movie on time. New pages of the screenplay were being delivered every morning. He opted to appear in the Mask of Zorro instead. Oh well. Oh, yeah. Anthony. I mean that that did pretty well as well, didn't it? Yeah, that was a good film. I like that. Yeah. When they had to reshoot reshoot the car park scene, it was too expensive to go back to Germany. It was done at Brink Cross Shopping Centre in London. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love I it. love it. Oh, uh, yeah. Posters. It was done in an Asda car park. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was civil, Captain America Civil War. It was done as the car park. Yeah. Posters posters around the stores told shoppers that the explosions were nothing to worry about. Oh, God. Nice. It took 10 days to shoot this car park scene, and 17 BMWs were used. 17 17 off the road. They might wreck in their cars. (laughs) 
Released on the 12th of December 1997 with a budget of 110 million, it grossed worldwide 333 million dollars. Isn't that funny to think that, that that really probably wouldn't even well, it definitely wouldn't be considered a success now, would it, for a Bond film? They'd want to see way bigger numbers than that. But I guess it was yeah. they were trying to I guess it was still trying to at that point get itself back into that that level of popularity, mm. wasn't it? Yeah, because it had yeah. quite a big break between Timothy and Pierce, hadn't yeah. it? Yeah, six and a half years. Yeah, and so yeah, it was definitely the the rebuilding of and trying to get Bond back into the into the minds of people. Yeah, yeah, you know they wanted to give what people thought they want, but you, you know people say what they like about the Bond stuff, right? But he did a good enough job that it became it stayed a viable franchise, right? It then it it went on to become. The, the, the Craig thing, and it went on to find the success. I mean, if you know, if, if he did a bad job, as many people like to say he did, which he definitely didn't, he did a good no, job. Then it, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't have continued. It wouldn't have it no. wouldn't have had anything. He did four films, and three of them were very decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of interest, Ben, while we got you here, what is your favourite James Bond film? I mean, I'm a Brosnan man. Like you know, I, I like a lot of I like a. I like I like a lot of different Bond films, but I mean, Goldeneye will I think will always be my my favourite Bond film. I think it just came at the the right time in my life, and and I was such a fan of of the game as well. So it was just mm. a combination of things. It, it all consumed me for a, for a period. Goldeneye, mm. I was watching it all the time. Like I had it on VHS, and I just watched it again and again and again. And it like I found it so. I found it incredibly violent. Like it didn't show blood and stuff a lot, but I found it incredibly violent in the way he'd like fire off bullets, people would start tumbling over the side of, you know, metal railings and stuff like that. I found it incredibly sexy. I liked all the I liked all the characters in it. Yeah, I mean everything about it was was perfect for me. I love Goldeneye. That's all the time we have for for this one. Thank you for joining us, Ben. It's been a pleasure, mate. No, it's been absolutely fantastic. I've been wanting to come on this podcast for, for ages, man. I'm a big fan, big yeah. fan of what you Sorry. guys do here. I don't Thank mean you. to interrupt you here, but yeah, Pierce Brosnan has the highest, he's the deadliest Bond with 27 kills. Oh, okay. There you go. Over, you go. Four, over four movies. There you go. Well, <laughs> oh, apparently that wasn't all the time we had four. We had more. But... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but no, yes. <laughs> no, yeah, it was fine, diverged. Mate. No worries. <laughs> we love, we love a tangent. Cut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, mate. As we were saying, the pleasure having you on. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. No, you're very welcome. I had a cracking time, guys. And uh, yeah, carry on doing what you're doing. I absolutely love it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Thanks. Can you let the good listeners know where they can find you and your work? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we touched on it earlier. So it's at a special hell, the uh, the Firefly reference uh, <laughs> and earlier. So yeah, you find me on Twitter there, and um, yeah, all of the all of the links to Lost in Cults work, Ninty Fresh, Switch Player, they're all in my bio. So uh, yeah, if you like if you like games, if you like stuff, cool stuff, just check them out. Have a little look, see what you think. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll also put the links in the in the show notes for Lovely. anyone who might be interested. So. You're a sweetheart. Oh, thanks, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yep. thank you, as always, for joining us. And if you enjoyed the pod and would like to support us, we have a coffee page where you can give us a a one-off tip or, if you're feeling kinder, a monthly tip starting from a pound. Uh, A massive thank you to all who have given us a tip. You're all legends. If that is not right for you right now, you can also support us by giving us a review or rating on Apple or Spotify or Podchaser. And if you don't fancy any of that, then you can also head on over to our website at thewolfypod.com to find a feedback form you can fill in to get your thoughts to us instead. Speaking of the website, you can find all our links, including our coffee page, our entire back catalogue of episodes and more. So please go and check it out. 
don't forget you can also hear me and Rich talk video games with Andrew and Steve on Dreamcast Years podcast. And don't forget that Rich is also to be found at the Dreamcast Junkyard. You can find these on Twitter at Dreamcast Years and the DC Junkyard. Next time, Ash Versus from the Under Consultation podcast joins us to create a delicious sandwich of content between our movie episodes by discussing one of 1997's biggest flop, Batman and Robin. Look forward to that in a couple of weeks' time. Chaps, it's time to say goodbye. 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 Bye, guys. My name has been Jason. Dom, it's over to you. Well, that's it for another episode of What's Wrong with Wolfie. The boys are off now to hit the roulette table with Patricia Routledge. See you later. What's wrong with Wolfie? I can hear him barking.